scripture reading this morning is from uh, the entire chapter of John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a, who, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, there are not, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in, at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name will bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from, my, from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law. I said, You are gods? If ye called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at, the, at first, and there he remained. And, and many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. 
Uh, listen, as we begin, I just want to say I realize that for most of us, the uh, last night's tsunami warnings has become little more than a punchline. For a handful of you, it did mean temporary displacement. And uh, maybe for many of you who sleep with a phone in your hand, uh, maybe you were awakened with some alerts. Uh, so maybe you lost some sleep last night. But for most of us, it's, it's, it just wasn't a big deal, kind of a punchline. But I, I do want to say there are some members of our family who actually do have family in affected areas, in, in Tonga to be precise. So out of love for them and concern for the well-being of not only their family members, but uh, the Tongan people at large as they are still reeling from kind of their infrastructure being swept away and loss of communications. Uh, let's pray for our Father's grace on those people, but also for uh, the members of our family who are still waiting, uh, waiting for, for clear words. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you as needy kids, and um, we come to you asking that you would pour out your grace on the Tongan people as they are uh, still responding and reacting and uh, working for safety and ensuring the well-being of people who are there in that place. And Father, for those members of our family who have flesh and blood relatives in that place, some people from whom they have yet to hear, we pray that you would pour out your grace and be present in gentleness and kindness with them as they wait. And Father, for those in Tonga, we pray that you would pour out your grace on them, protect their lives, sustain them, and show yourself to be they're good and rescuing shepherd today. Father, help us to love and encourage uh, those we know who are affected and to be with them in the waiting as souls are unsettled. Father, we pray that you would do these things for your namesake and for the good of these people. And now, Father, as we spend time in your word together, we would ask that your kingdom would come increasingly in our hearts, that your will would be done, that you would remind us again this morning that you have forgiven us of our trespasses in Jesus, and that you would lead us to forgive those who have trespassed or sinned against us. Father, you know our hearts are quick to run to temptation, uh, a myriad of temptations, and so we pray that you would deliver us from evil and remind us this morning, Father, in our tendency to control or to be anxious that yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory. It's not my kingdom, it's not my power, and it's not my glory. Help us to rest in that beautiful reminder of the gospel this morning, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, ready? So we press further into our series in the gospel according to John. We're all the way up to John chapter 10 now. Thank you, Kurt, for reading that for us. That is a big chunk of scripture, yeah? It's a big chunk. So John 10, you know that our series theme all through John is simply Jesus is life. Last week, we saw that Jesus is life because he is the light of the world. So we unpacked what it means for Jesus to be not only the light of the world, but the light of, of our world. Now, you know that I need, I, I'm, a, I'm a simple man, I need all the help I can get in every area of life, so I need visual reminders to help me call to mind important truth. So last week, we utilized the services of a light bright, one of the glorious toys from the 1980s, maybe earlier. Um, and at the conclusion of the service, I was in the back of the room and talking with a brother who was also born and raised in the 80s and 90s, not many of us in this space, uh, so we have a tight fraternity, and he's like, hey, you know what would be really cool? Uh, the light bright was super helpful, thinking about Jesus as the light of the world. Um, what do you think about an Etch-a-Sketch? There's got to be a way that an Etch-a-Sketch <laughs> could help us, and so then we just started going through 80s toys, still working on He-Man and the, and the Smurfs, not real sure about the Smurfs. But um, anyway, look, I exist to serve, guys. I'm here for you, so this week it's an Etch-a-Sketch. Um, but all kidding aside, I actually think it fits really well, and our conversation lingered in my mind all week. And while that picture remains on the screen for just a moment, what I want to say is our souls 
are like an Etch-a-Sketch. We are created in the image and likeness of God. So as he gives us life and our souls are toward God, if you will, he, if there is a word or words on the screen of our souls, it would be the imago Dei in the image of God, just beautiful. And then God as the creator artist goes to work drawing life and beauty on the screens of our lives or on our souls, if you, if you will. Our souls are like an Etch-a-Sketch. They're also like an Etch-a-Sketch because an Etch-a-Sketch cannot turn its own dials. You, can, you cannot turn the dials on your soul. But what the Bible would tell us is, as we are directed toward God, our creator, beauty is, is our souls are a canvas, and he just paints beauty and life on our souls. But in our rebellion, as we break bad, we turn from our creator. And the Bible would tell us, whatever we worship, or just to use more common language, whatever we turn toward with our souls, that would be worship, we become like the very thing we turn toward, right? We don't turn our own dials, but listen, the screen of your lives will always reflect the character of the shepherd whose hands rest on the dials of your soul. That was a really long sentence. But you'll get what I'm saying. You can't turn your own dials. So we turn away and beauty is distorted. Image is distorted. Beauty is replaced with brokenness. The image of God is marred. What was a masterpiece? That's actually pretty good for an Etch-a-Sketch right there. Never did that. Uh, That beauty, the art is broken and distorted. And we turn to whatever we think or whomever we think can recapture the beauty or draw a better image. And so we search and we search and we search and the beauty just increasingly gets broken and more broken into more distorted brokenness. And so we, you and I are like so many unreturning sons and daughters. Our souls turn away. So many different hands find themselves on the dials of our souls And so the father does what he has to do and what he wants to do for so many unreturning sons and daughters. He sends a rescuing shepherd to bring us back home. And that's exactly what we we see before we get to John 10. I just want to show you this out of Ezekiel 34 because it makes sense of John 10 and it's beautiful. Here's Ezekiel 34, 11 and 12. Oh, before I do that, yeah, sorry, my bad. Go back one. Second service, you always get shafted a little bit. My brain's like down to 55%. So here we go. This is the big idea from from the sermon today, from the passage. My soul, and here's the etch-a-sketch one more time for you. Etched and sketched by the creator, gone astray, ruined in my rebellion, restored by returning to the shepherd of my soul. So that idea is not only in John 10, it's Ezekiel 34, and here it is, verses 11 and 12. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Why does he have to do it himself? Two reasons. The first is the context of Ezekiel 34. This chapter tells the story about a bunch of really bad pastors in unhealthy churches. Now, they wouldn't use that vocabulary, but the Jewish faith and the priests, they were given to God's people to be a bunch of mini shepherds, if you will, lowercase s shepherds, to point back to the one true shepherd, but they were devouring the sheep. They were bad shepherds. So that's the first reason God needed to just take it into his own hands and send a second uh, a rescuing shepherd. The second reason is, back to my original point, you and I are just like a whole bunch of unreturning sons and daughters, or sheep, to use the sheep shepherd metaphor. We don't turn and go back home. And so the father says, look, I'm going to do this. I will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. Verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, that's us, so will I seek out my sheep and I'm going to rescue them. I will. Look at the language there. Not I might, not I'm thinking about it. I will rescue them from all places. Yes, even the faraway place of your turning and your rebellion the good shepherds going there, where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Look at that language. There is only one weather pattern that will endure for your soul if you turn away from your creator. So as your soul turns away, 
You may encounter occasional sunny days, but the enduring weather pattern of your soul, apart from your creator, is right there, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So like moving to Seattle or something, that's basically the same as turning away from Jesus. I guess that's what he said right there. You'll learn something new every time, every time. A day of thick clouds and dark. We laugh, guys, but that's the truth. There are no sunny skies for your soul apart from turning toward your creator and rescuing king. So it's with Ezekiel 34 in mind now that Jesus is walking through the temple in Jerusalem and he announces John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. So Everybody in the temple, you got the scrolls of Ezekiel right down the hall. In fact, maybe the scrolls of Ezekiel had been used in their worship gatherings. But all the priests, all the regular attenders knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he said, I'm the good shepherd. He's invoking Ezekiel 34. He's equating himself with God because God's the one who takes personal ownership to be the shepherd and bring a sheep back. So Jesus is like, fam, that's me. I am. I am God. I am the good shepherd, and I'm here to bring you home. So here's how we're going to see this chapter broken down to help, just kind of help us think about it clearly, because this is one big narrative, and you probably noticed as Kurt read that it, it kind of weaves its way through a storyline. But here are the pieces that we see woven together. The first one is uh, my rebellion and my pseudo-shepherds. We're going to meet the fake shepherds, the false ones, and see how they're connected with my rebellion. The second piece that we'll see woven in there is my restoration and how it's related to my good shepherd. And then finally, it doesn't come neatly at the end. It's kind of right in the middle and then, and then at the end, but an invitation to response. You will see some persons in this passage uh, not just stiff-arm Jesus, but want to throw rocks at him and drive him away. They're trying to keep him away. Uh, we have all postured ourselves like that at different points in our lives, and some of us are postured that way right now. But really, at the end of the chapter, there is an invitation to return and be restored by Jesus, who is the good shepherd. So let's begin by looking first at our pseudo-shepherds and my rebellion. John, well, Jesus, John through Jesus, would summarize our pseudo-shepherds this way, or describe them this way. Let's begin in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So there you see the word sheepfold, and then a little bit later in the passage, you're going to see a slightly different language where Jesus says, I'm the door of the sheep. So it might help us to understand that throughout this passage, there are two images for places where sheep are gathered that are going on. Here in the first part, the reference to a sheepfold would be the sheepfold that was like in the city, in the burbs, where when all the sheep, when you all come in from out of the field and you spend the weekend with your family, you park your sheep right there, and then you take them back to the field with you on Monday. Uh, that's the sheepfold. And so the door that he's talking about, and then in verse 3, you see this, this, this door has a gatekeeper. You've got this massive pen. It's like a Walmart parking lot, and it's all subdivided, and every shepherd's got their own little flock of sheep, like in its own little pen, inside the bigger one. And there's one gatekeeper, and he's checking the IDs, and if you're a legit shepherd, if you belong in the pen, he'll open the door and you can go in, you can get your sheep and you can leave. Later in the chapter, we're going to see kind of like the field version of a, of a sheep pen. That one's made where Jesus talks about laying down in the doorway. That would have been a crude circle of rocks and thorn and briars and sticks out in the field, hastily constructed, where the sheep could come out of the pasture land and find temporary safety overnight so they're not eaten by their predators, and the shepherd would actually lay himself down in the doorway. Just in case you feel like the metaphors get mixed at any point, there are two different kind of sheep pens going on. Back to our pseudo-shepherd. Old boy can't walk in the front door because he doesn't belong in the sheep pen. He does not have the authority to be there. He's not the creator of your soul. She is not the creator of your soul. Uh, in our common vernacular, we might say something like, man, you walked in like you own the place. They can't walk in like they own the place because they don't, and they don't belong there. So notice these key words right here. They have to climb in what? 
by another way, not the front door. Okay, so our pseudo shepherds come in by another way, and that shepherd is a thief or a robber. Then you drop down to verse 5. We already have seen that they're a thief or a robber. And then we see Jesus describe them as a stranger. The pseudo shepherd is a stranger, again, because they don't belong there, and our soul doesn't know them as a shepherd. Uh, He says that the sheep will not follow them, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. We'll take a look at that here in a minute. And then we keep dropping down a little bit. Verse 8, he says, All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Okay, so again, pseudo-shepherds are thieves and robbers. We drop down a little bit. Verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Drop down a little bit. There's one more term he wants to use for our pseudo-shepherds. That's in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a real shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Why does he run away? Verse 13, he runs away because he is a hired hand. And what? He doesn't care about you. He's been using you the whole time. He cares nothing for the sheep. All right, so before we unpack the good shepherd, Jesus is drawing our attention to pseudo-shepherds and our souls. So they come in another way. I couldn't escape the imagery all week, I'm sorry, but World War Z, like rather than the shepherd just coming in through the front door, These pseudo-shepherds cannot access my soul that way. They don't have the authority to. They didn't create me. They don't belong there. And so they they stream over the walls. They come in over the walls, and they jump into the pen of my soul, if you will, and they offer me something. They offer to shepherd my soul, to give me something that my soul needs. But Jesus describes them as uh, thieves and robbers and as strangers to my soul, So they're not there for my flourishing. They're they're ultimately to take something away. Jesus comes to give to my soul. These robbers come to take something away. So they're thieves. They're robbers. Their voice is strange. Their voice is strange. And ultimately, Jesus would say, these thieves and robbers, these strange shepherds will actually lead me, lead my soul to be killed and destroyed. There's no life there. And that As my soul is being destroyed, when I need my shepherd the most, these pseudo-shepherds are finally revealed for the fake shepherd that they are in that they're not there for me in my darkest moment. They're finally exposed as my soul crumbles. They run the other way because they don't care about me at all. Pseudo-shepherds. Now, in the context, you guys know who he's... He's indicting here to be the, the pseudo-shepherds, right? Just like Ezekiel 34, he's calling out religious leaders of the day. God had given the priest to his people to be loving, gentle shepherds and to point them back to the Father. Instead, they were, taking adva- they were terrible shepherds, and they were destroying the souls of God's family, not giving them life. What do you think our pseudo-shepherds are? Or who do you think our pseudo-shepherds are? Who are they? What are the voices that we listen to? What are the strange voices that have seduced our souls? Now, we have to be careful because sometimes we read a passage like this and we're like, hmm, pseudo-shepherds, John's already invoked World War Z, so they're like, angry, aggressive zombie, like clear enemies that are streaming over the walls to ravage our souls, right? Probably not. Now, does the Bible allow for a category of that kind of aggressive pseudo-shepherd? Probably, uh, yes. I mean, Peter would even use the language of uh, the devil, your enemy, who prowls around like a, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So I don't know how much pseudo-shepherd that is versus just straight-up predator who wants to destroy your soul, but he knows how to disguise himself, and you're all familiar. Several of you invoked it after the first service, like, oh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? So certainly there are categories for those incredibly aggressive, malice-filled pseudo-shepherds. 
But guys, if in the context, the pseudo shepherds Jesus is pointing to are actually the religious leaders and religious practice itself, that should probably frame the way we work to identify our own. In other words, religious leaders, good or supposed to be good. The practice of uh, true faith or true religion before God, good and life-giving, not bad. So our pseudo-shepherds probably fall into the category of good gift from the Father that we have elevated to an ultimate place where they don't belong. In other words, they're not teeming zombie bloodthirsty hordes coming over the walls of my pen. They're more like sweet, seductive voices that have popped their pretty little faces up over the sides of my sheep pen and be like, I see that itch you have. I could scratch that. I see that unmet desire that you have. I feel that. I could meet that for you probably better than Jesus does. Actually, look, he's not in the pen right now. Just invite me in for the night, just, just for 45 minutes, just for, just for a little trip down the internet lane. Just give me 10 minutes. I will satisfy your soul, and then I'll get out of here. And when Jesus comes back in, that itch will be scratched. Your desire will be met, and nobody will be the wiser. You'll have life where you didn't have life before, and it'll all be good. And so I think they're sweet, seductive voices that don't climb over the wall as much as they peep up their head, whisper to us sweetly, and then we say, I want you, I want you to come on in. Now we can start finding our pseudo-shepherds. Now, there are probably a million pseudo-shepherds represented in this room, so we, we can't begin to identify all of them. But maybe just for some examples to help us think, marriage is a really good gift. But my marriage is not meant to be ultimate. It's just meant to be a good thing that turns my heart back to my father. So as my marriage becomes ultimate to me, as I close my hands around it, maybe I try to be controlling, maybe I try to make, I make it everything. So then when it's not working just right, I'm falling apart. Well, now it's a pseudo shepherd inside the pen of my soul or my wife. I love her. I have a beautiful wife. I'm very thankful for my, my good and excellent wife. But she does not have the capacity to shepherd my soul. So maybe it's not even a matter of good or bad. Maybe it's a matter of sufficiency. My wife is not created with the capacity to be my shepherd. So in the moments where I try to go to her to find what really I can only find in God, I have made her a pseudo shepherd. She's not doing it. I have done it. And it will destroy my soul. So whether that's relationships or your career, your body image, your exercise routine, whatever it is, millions of pseudo-shepherds, basically what we're getting at is I am created to find my identity and my purpose and my joy and my fulfillment, my hope, my healing, and on and on and on, ultimately in Jesus. So anytime I take my Etch-a-Sketch and I turn away and I receive the invitation, be like, yo, I'll put... Put your hands on the dials, turn it, make something beautiful in place of Jesus. There's my pseudo-shepherd. Now, we need to take the gospel truth and bring it to bear on the lies that your pseudo or fake shepherds are telling you right now. They're saying, spend a little time with me. I will give you life. I will give you joy. I will give you peace. I'll, I'll create beauty in here. And Jesus says, no, they're robbers. They're thieves. They're strangers. They don't know you. They are going to kill you and destroy your soul. And when you need a shepherd most, they will abandon you. They don't care about your flourishing. They only either want to kill or destroy you or gain something from you. And in your darkest moment, they will leave. Pseudo-shepherds. All right. So what are pseudo-shepherds, guys? Or maybe just to keep going with our Etch-a-Sketch metaphor, you're the Etch-a-Sketch whose hands are resting currently on the dials of your Etch-a-Sketch. I wish I had gotten the image for you. I, somebody gave it to me a couple years ago. Um, it's a little meme for pastors. It's just like an illustration of sermon ideas, the development of sermon ideas. And so on the... Um, it's actually, you know, this whole idea is popularized now because everybody's posting pictures of how it started and how it's going, right? 
so it's like, it's the how it started and how it's going for the sermon development for pastors. So on like day, on Monday, there is a masterful piece of artwork displaying like a beautiful stallion, strong, flowing mane, just busting with muscles. And then you get down to like Thursday or Friday and it's like this little preschool stick figure like tail. And it's not even a horse anymore. It's like something out of Percy Jackson or Chronicles of Narnia. Like it's just ugly, you know? That's how most sermon, sermon weeks go. Um, that's what happens on the Etch-A-Sketch of your souls, guys. The moment we listen to the seducing voices, we invite the pseudo-shepherd in. Our, dial, our, our screen turns, a different set of hands rests on the dial. The screen of your life will always reflect the character of the shepherd whose hands are spinning your dials. You can't spin them. But this passage teaches us something important, guys. There is no such thing as a self-shepherding human. You were created by a shepherd, for a shepherd, to live life through a shepherd. So you may not be receiving shepherding from Jesus right now, but that doesn't mean you're not being shepherded. You're just being shepherded by somebody else, and Jesus here would call them a, a pseudo or a fake shepherd. I mean, imagine if we all bought sheep. We got rid of our, I mean, you might as well. You get rid of your oaky car and get sheep. And I come in here and we're all comparing sheep now. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I got, I got, I got self-shepherding sheep. See, I don't even have to plug them in or park them or anything. They just take care of themselves. Like you would laugh, you would laugh at me. It'd be a ludicrous suggestion. Guys, it's just as ludicrous that you're self-shepherding. There's no such thing as a soul that is, you cannot self-shepherd your soul. You cannot spin your own dials. Either Jesus' hands rest on the dials as your good shepherd, or a pseudo-shepherd is just absolutely destroying the screen of your soul. Even if it looks beautiful right now, the seeds of death will sow into that ugliness over time. So who are our pseudo-shepherds? And in the mayhem of pseudo-shepherds, Jesus breaks in. I love this, right? In verse 1 again, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he, do, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Guys, in our brokenness, even after we have turned, Jesus shows up as the good shepherd and walks in like he owns the place. Because he does. He created my soul. And so he walks into the sheep pen of my life, punches the time clock. He's like, all right, it's time to go to work evicting the pseudo shepherds that are ravaging your pen. Because it's not just one. We are so divided. Our souls are so divided. We've got like a dozen pseudo shepherds circling our pens. So Jesus walks in like he owns the place, because he does. He says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, so it's personal, and he leads them out. John, I am your true shepherd. All these are lying to you. Follow me. I'm taking you out of here. We're going to restore peace in your soul. He calls me by name. The pseudo-shepherds can only guess at my name. They don't know my soul. Jesus knows my, my name. He knows my soul, and he cares about my soul. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Deep down in my soul, I will eventually recognize the voice of the one who first used his voice to give me life. And the very one who used his voice to give me life now uses his voice to restore the life that has been marred and broken as I turned away and found a replacement set of hands to spin my dials. You know, I think it's important to point out in verse 5, it says, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. While that is a true statement that Jesus is making, Jesus would also say that the very problem is in our rebellion, we did follow the voices of pseudo-shepherds. When we are turned towards Jesus and listening to his voice, that's when we're free from the seduction of pseudo-shepherds. That's when we won't listen to them. But if our posture on any given day is one of just subtle turn away from Jesus, now my ears open to the seduction of a pseudo-shepherd, and I will follow. 
Verse 7, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So what's our good shepherd like? He comes in, and then he says he's the door. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out, and he will find pasture. So he will be saved. Now, we read that in the New Testament, and we're like, well, yeah, saved. Saved from sin, saved from death from hell, saved from eternal judgment. All that is true and wrapped up in the word save. But here Jesus is saying, yo, I'm the good shepherd. I'm coming into the chaos of your pen that you have filled with pseudo shepherds. And I'm going to save your soul from the chaos of this thing today. And I'm going to restore order today and peace today. And that's exactly what he means when he says that you will go in and out and find pasture. Those words go in and out were a Hebrew idiom to communicate the freedom of peace. In other words, if you were a fearful person or you knew you had enemies in the streets, you didn't feel free to leave your front door. You'd stay home and you'd hide away. What Jesus is saying is that's exactly how your heart is going to end up. The more pseudo shepherds you allow into your life, it'll strip away joy, freedom. You will be so filled with shame and guilt that you will be afraid to go out into the light of the day. Otherwise, you will be exposed to all those around you. It sucks the joy out of your soul. But he says, when I am your good shepherd and when I begin picking up your pseudo shepherds by the scruff of their necks and slinging them over the slides of your pen, little by little, your peace will be restored and your soul will feel the freedom to go on out and come back in without fear or anxiety or being paralyzed by guilt and shame. And then he says, I'll lead your souls to pasture. In other words, the very desire that you were trying to satisfy by turning to pseudo shepherds he will desire by leading you to the one true place. Your soul will find what it was created to know in him. He is the true and better good shepherd. He says he's going to lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 11. I love that. And then he talks about how the hired hand runs away when the wolf is coming. So he's contrasting himself to the hired hand. In other words, Jesus doesn't run away. He destroys the wolf. He lays down in the doorway. That's Jesus' way of saying that as our shepherd, he postures himself between us and our souls and whatever predator it is that would destroy our souls. He places himself in the middle and he lays down his life for us. Not just once on the cross, though ultimately he did there, but Jesus as good shepherd daily lays down his life on our behalf. Die, he had died so that we could live. That's who he is. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. Now look at this. Look at the intimate way he knows us. I know my own and my own know me. In the same way the Father knows me and I know the Father. So let that sink in for a little minute, a little bit. Jesus and the Father, the health and strength and intimacy of their relationship, Jesus brings that level of attention and affection and allegiance to his shepherding of you. He knows your name. He knows your soul. He's committed to your restoration and your renewal. And for him, it is deeply personal. I also like verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. It's really a tragedy that God's church on earth now is so splintered and fractured. It is in almost every culture, and in every culture, the fracturing might happen for different reasons. In some cultures, it's more racialized fracturing. In some cultures, it's more socioeconomic class fracturing. Sometimes in some cultures, it's both racial and economic. In a military community, it can be fractured along officer enlisted lines. I mean, it's just the church can be fractured along so many lines. The more a church is fractured, the more a church fails to show diversity in the sheep that exist in the pen, uh, the less we display the truth and the beauty of our Father's character, the less we display the truth and the beauty of the gospel, which is supposed to conquer all of those things and bring us all together in unity. Because notice what Jesus says. Uh, he's speaking to a Jewish audience. He's like, I got more sheep uh, in, the, in the Gentile world. I'm going to bring together all races, all ethnicities, all nationalities. There's going to be one flock and one shepherd. Guys, a unified church 
where we are different from one another, but united in Jesus, where there is a great degree of diversity, not diversity for diversity's sake, but diversity because of the truth that it displays about our rescuing shepherd. In that context, the gospel is more beautifully displayed for others to see. The last thing I want to say about our good shepherd before I get to our response is this. Our good shepherd is strong, and that's good because you need a strong shepherd to rescue you. Look at this. Verse 17, the father loves this about me. might be a better way to say, for this reason, the father loves me. The father loves this about me because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes my life from me. I lay my life down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. When Jesus went to the cross, nobody took his life. He gave it freely. The good shepherd gave his life for the good of sheep, and then he took it back up again three days later. Let me show you why that's so significant to us, that we have a strong shepherd who has authority over even his own life. Look at this in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He was actually pushing back on the religious leaders who were rejecting him. He's like, look, you're just rejecting me because you're not my sheep. You're rejecting what I say, but my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Now, notice this. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Guys, Jesus is not only a strong shepherd, he is the strongest shepherd, and that's really good news for you because your pen and my pen are filled with strong pseudo-shepherds. And what we found out was the beautiful little voice and little face that offered life and looked innocent and gentle and kind once we allowed them in, revealed themselves to be not only ravenous, but stronger than we are. You have invited pseudo-shepherds into the sheep pen of your soul, into your life right now, and your greatest struggle in life right now is trying to be stronger than they are through religious practice so that you can get them out of the sheepfold and have peace again. Fam, If this passage is telling us anything, it's telling us while you invited them in, you do not have the strength to kick them out. You need the good shepherd who is stronger to come in on your behalf and eradicate or evict those pseudo shepherds for you. So to push back on everything you've probably ever heard is, like you're told to be stronger, do better, try harder. You kill the the pseudo shepherds. You kick them out. You discipline yourself. The gospel would invite you to surrender, to open your hands and to lay down your arms and to acknowledge you invited them in and you are incapable of getting them out and your soul is being destroyed. And to cry out to Jesus, who is the true good shepherd, and to watch him go to work eradicating the pseudo shepherds in the sheep pen of your soul. So the solution in your struggles is not to turn towards the pseudo shepherds and destroy them. The solution is to turn away from them and turn to Jesus so that his hands rest on the dial of your etch-a-sketch and he will simultaneously restore beauty and eradicate pseudo shepherds. Your hope is turning to Jesus, not turning to your own strength. He's strong. Notice what the text says. He doesn't lose any sheep. That's also good news because you know how many times you're going to leave the pen on your own? You know how many more pseudo-shepherds you're going to invite in? Jesus doesn't lose sheep. Once the good shepherd has shown up, that's the Father's commitment to you and to me. I'm bringing you all the way home. Now, you're going to come home with some broken legs. You're going to come home like you had a barber that was drunk and high at the same time. Like your wool is going to be whack, like partially sheared. All the things, broken limbs, bloody limbs, bruised, but you're going home. And you will have a season in life where as a sheep, you are so broken and beat down either because of a pseudo shepherd you have invited in or because in the brokenness of our world, a great evil has been done to you and your soul is profoundly wounded, not for anything you did, it's not your responsibility, but because of what someone has done to you in wickedness. Jesus is bringing you home, guys. 
And when he gets you home, you will be fully and finally restored to beauty and to wholeness. Jesus doesn't let a single sheep go. We need to wrap this up. The passage leads us to response. Notice the first response is kind of signaled halfway through in verse 19. Same story, guys. And and, and look, we've been in John now for a couple months. I'm just going to start passing a sign-up sheet around because this storyline is so repetitive. Any one of you could get up and preach the next sermon. Here it is. This happens every chapter, doesn't it? Verse 19. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Same story. Many of them said, oh boy, has a demon. He's crazy. He's insane. Why would we listen to him? Others said, no. Guys, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. You're crazy. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind man? No. And so you see that division play out in the rest of the chapter. First, in verse 31, after Jesus said, I and the Father are one, so basically saying he's God, here's the first response. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus kind of pushes back on them. Why? Here's the deal. You could preach a sermon on this little passage, and I'm not going to, actually, it'd be better to be like a class. It'd be more of a lecture, because for years, people have been divided over the interpretation of that. You go do the homework on your own, okay? The allusion is to Psalm 82, so read Psalm 82. And Jesus is basically, in more modern language, is saying, why are you so offended that I would say I'm a son of God, the son of God? Go turn to Psalm 82. You called your own judges godlike. You used the word God to describe the judges in your world who had been given God's law and had, like, full authority over the people. You called them gods. You didn't throw any rocks at them. You actually, you, you, you yourselves call them gods. So why in the world would you be so offended when I say I'm a son of God? Never mind the fact that I'm actually the one that God the Father chose to send into the world to be your good shepherd. Why are you losing your minds over this? Okay. That's essentially that little confusing piece in there towards the end of the chapter. Happy to talk about that further with you um, offline. But what's going on is the Jewish leaders are stiff-arming Jesus, and they're going to throw rocks at him. Guys, that's the first response that's revealed in this chapter, and that is the response that all of us have exercised at some point in our lives. And for some of you, that is the response that you are currently exercising towards Jesus. You may not be throwing literal rocks at him, but your soul In a way, you have found a functional existence with your pseudo-shepherds that for the time being, you actually prefer over the presence of your good shepherd. So you're picking up rocks off the perimeter of your little fence line, and you're chucking them at Jesus. You're keeping them at arm's distance because you want to be a Christian, you want to profess allegiance, but you really like some of the functional pleasure that you receive from the pseudo-shepherds that you've allowed into your pen. And friends, I would just say to you, it's a fleeting season. The joy that you know right now will quickly show itself to be poison to your soul and will kill you like Jesus said a pseudo-shepherd would do. It'll be fleeting, it'll be fast, and it's going to crush your soul. Better for you to lay down your rocks and to stop stiff-arming Jesus and to actually take the invitation that we see at the close of this chapter where In verse 39, I'll just read to the end. It says, again, they sought to arrest Jesus, but he escaped. Verse 40, he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing. At first, he stayed there. Here's the second invitation or second response. Many people came to him and they said, look, John did no sign, but everything that John said about you was true. And many believed in him there. What would it look like for you to believe this morning? Here's how Peter describes it right here. 1 Peter 2. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. To believe is to agree with Jesus that I have been straying, I am straying. You name the pseudo-shepherds you have allowed into your pen, and you return, you turn the etch-a-sketch screen back to the good shepherd who will restore beauty. Well, how's your good shepherd going to respond? Let's close where we started with Ezekiel 34. Here's how Jesus responds to sheep who turn back to the shepherd. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Look at verse 16. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. 
and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong, a metaphor for those who never turn, who continue throwing rocks at me and stiff-arming me, um, I will destroy. Guys, you will be destroyed in stiff-arming Jesus in the long run. He says, I'm going to feed them in justice. So what does he promise for those who turn now? I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will bring back the strayed. Guys, some of you are fearful and uncertain. How's Jesus going to respond? I know how he's going to respond. See, John, I told you, you're a terrible son. You turned again. I'd like to say, I can't believe you turned again and invited another pseudo-shepherd in, but I do believe it because it's what you do every day. Unfortunately, the father and I made a covenant agreement that you're in the family, but if I could do it again, I would kick you out. If I would do it again, I would die for everybody else on the cross, but clearly you don't get it and you don't belong, so I wouldn't have died for you. But reluctantly, sure, more mercy, more grace. I'm sure I'll talk to you again tomorrow after you've invited another pseudo-shepherd into your life. That's how most of us have been conditioned to believe Jesus responds to us when we turn or try to turn. Guys, Ezekiel 34 shows us how he turns. Jesus is gentle, he's kind, he's lowly, he's compassionate, he knows your name, he knows your soul, he's committed to uh, restoring beauty and flourishing in your soul. So Jesus turns with a warm embrace and says again, welcome home, son. This is where you belong. Let's evict some pseudo-shepherds and watch me restore beauty in your soul. Fam, as, as Grant and the team come this morning again, who or what are your pseudo-shepherds? And what in the world is keeping us from collectively turning back to Jesus, the good shepherd, confessing our need, asking him to evict our pseudo-shepherds, and asking him to restore the beauty that is so badly broken? Why wouldn't we turn together and go home to the shepherd and overseer of our souls today? Let's, let's turn.